Hey guys, welcome to the Professional Development Podcast. Today is Thursday, September 9th, and we are in-house uh, Chino Hills, and we have on a very special guest, Bedros Koulian. Bedros, how's it going? Going well, man. Welcome to the uh, HQ. Yeah. yeah, we appreciate you having us. So um, we typically start off this podcast uh, giving each of our guests the opportunity to talk a little bit about themselves, uh, where they came from, how to, or I guess how they became the entrepreneur that they are. Want to put an emphasis specifically on yours, just because I honestly don't think I've heard a crazier story than an upbringing from yours to what you've grown to. So, can you give us uh, a little bit of a background? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, the best way to say it, like I'm the the immigrant edge and the American dream. Like I'm like the Cinderella man. And um, my my family and I, we escaped communist Soviet Union in 1980. I was six years old. I was the youngest one in the family. And um, my dad was a member of the Communist Party and you know, he bribed some um, officials in the Soviet consul and we escaped into Italy uh, under the guise that we're going on vacation there. Um, and then of course, we went to the American consul and we're like, hey, we hate the Soviet Union and we wanna go to the United States. My dad's like, I'm a member of the Communist Party so if you send me back, they're gonna whack me, right? And America's being just awesome to us. And they're like, well, we don't want you to get whacked, so we're gonna pump you for information and send you to California. And that's how we ended up here. Now, when we ended up here, we didn't speak English. We didn't have, uh, my dad had, I think, 86 US dollars is what it ended up being once he converted the money. Didn't speak English, didn't understand the culture. We were broke, we were poor. Uh, and there's two different, you know, broke and poor, two different things. Broke is you're out of money, poor is like a mindset. Like we were destitute, poverty mindset. And so we were both. And uh, eating out of dumpsters that were like, not like a garbage can. I hate when people like say, he ate out of a garbage can. I'm like fucking, it's a dumpster out of behind a grocery store where like food <laughs> expires. Yeah. Um, I'm not a fucking animal, right? It's like food expires at a grocery store. They can't throw it, they can't sell it. So they throw it away. And then immigrants like me find it and eat it. Like it's still good. You just have to pick off the fucking mold. And like the eggs are expired, but they're not bad. And so your mom you know, fries it up and you eat it. But that's how we made by. We lived in Section 8 housing. Uh, some of the housing that we lived in was so filthy. I got lice as a kid and we were so broke. My, my dad had my, my mom had my dad pump uh, siphon gasoline from a parked car and she washed my hair with gasoline because uh, it kills lice and it's free. And so what's really neat is like I got to learn that in the absence of resources, food, money, whatever, you get resourceful. So that was like the very first lesson and being an entrepreneur. Like, I didn't realize as a kid I'm learning these lessons, but as I looked back. Um, and the one thing my dad told me over and over again, he's like, hey man, like we risked our lives, came to this great country, you're the youngest one of the family. You know, like this country will let you do anything you want, make as much money as you want, become who you want, so long as you also serve the people in it. Like, be good to the country, right? And that's why my dad still to this day, he's 88 years old, lives in Anaheim down the road. And uh, he's like, listen, whether you're on stage or on TV, you're on one of those podcasts, uh, that's what he calls a podcast, <laughs> podcasts. He goes, you tell them that we legally entered the United States because when you legally enter a country, you value that country, the processes that it has, and you assimilate. Whereas if you illegally enter, you kind of milk it. Not everybody, but you kind of milk it and you take it for granted. So, um, you know, I realized very quickly that I wasn't good at school, that I had ADD and OCD, um, that every job I had, I got fired. So figured out I'm um, unemployable. Um, and so the only alternative was the Marine Corps because Mrs. Boyer said so. She was my 11th grade home ec teacher. She slammed me against the wall and she said, the Marine Corps are the only ones who can set you straight because you're a mess. 
So I graduated high school and I, and I, and I went to the Marine Corps recruiting station with Dave, my buddy. Um, it was like four by four, man, short, fat dude. And they gave him B12 shots and he lost the weight and they took him. Uh, they're like, hey dude, you got flat feet. I'm like, okay, so I'm fine. Like, no, you got flat feet, you can't go, right? So there I am in 1994, like my hopes and dreams were to go into the Marine Corps. And they're like, no, you can't go. So um, I just made my way and said, I'm gonna figure out how to be my own boss. And so that kind of led to, you know, a decade and a half later becoming an entrepreneur by one of my personal training clients, because I was a personal trainer in a gym, worked as a bouncer at a, at a gay bar. The gay bar paid more than the straight bar, and that's why. And that's actually how me and Ed met. Um, <laughs> but but, <laughs> but um, all, all things aside, it, it was so neat to work as a personal trainer in a big box gym while you, I got paid like nine bucks an hour. Uh, one of my personal training clients, man, was um, this dude named Jim Franco, older gentleman, owned a software company, and he'd kind of come in with a swagger, and you know, I would see that he's parking a Cadillac Escalade, and then the next day he's parking this Mercedes, and the next day it's like this classic American car, and I'm like, Jim, you have three cars. He's like, you can have as many as you want, kid. I'm like, whoa, like that bent my mind, like, because I just got this old pickup truck that's falling apart. And uh, he's like, you ever thought about owning your own gym, like studio? I'm like, I don't know anything about being an entrepreneur, and he started to mentor me, and that was kind of my, so I knew I was unemployable. I had learned these skills of like, you know, adversity is an advantage. Every time we dealt with adversity, I just found a way, I got resourceful. So I had these factory installed skills as a kid in me, this way of thinking outside of the box, and then I develop uh, this mentor. You know, I help him with his fitness, he helps me with being an entrepreneur, and. The rest was history, man, and I've just been so lucky. And that's why I say I'm the Cinderella man. Like, I'm supposed to be like a taxi driver somewhere in Armenia right now, and instead I'm here and I've authored a book and I own seven companies and I'm sitting here with y'all. And the, the greatest podcast that you've ever yeah. Greatest podcast been a part of. on the planet. <laughs> Clip that. Please cut yeah. that yeah. and yeah. send that, that to us, us immediately. Facebook ads. You shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> So for somebody that has escaped a communist country yeah. and, and didn't, did enter legally, yeah. what do you feel about the current events that are happening in America right now? It, it, it's sad, but it's normal, man. Like everyone's like, ah, you know, get up in arms, buy a thousand. You should. Everyone should buy ammo for the buy ammo. Be prepared, but easy. We're nowhere near picking up your rifles and your body armor, and the revolution's far from starting because we have to remember that every communist country thus far has collapsed historically, every single one, Soviet Union, uh, Cuba just recently. And so any socialist communist country has collapsed. And so China too will collapse. And if the United States goes into socialism, communism, uh, it will be the greatest gift to the current generation who has gotten so soft, uh, is so bubble wrapped, gets so easily offended they need to feel oppression because life's been too good for too long. And it is that oppression that will wake up this degenerate, soft, bubble wrap, training wheels left on too long on their bikes, fucked up culture. Yeah, the comfort crisis, right? So we, we actually need, we need a massive crisis. Like we're not even there yet. Like we're not even there. We need like three bubbles to burst and we will have that happen too. It'll be in the housing market, financial market, um, and like in industries in terms of like, like you know, big cargo ships and shit that are parked in the ocean that can't even get into the ports right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot going on, obviously. And so um, 
at this point, I think every, all of us have read your book. Um, in there, uh, you ask a question, which is what soundtrack is playing in your head? Mm -hmm. So you talk about your subconscious mind. It's always recording the environment and influencing your belief system. At the end of the day, the things that you believe in, you're going to manifest. We're big believers in that. That's why we do this podcast, right? Like this soundtrack of growth and development and you're not, if you're not growing, you're, you're dying. Like that mentality and even like carried over to this. Like we get to hear your soundtrack and now this is embedded in our head. And that's awesome to us since you're such a high achiever. So that being said, um, what soundtrack has recently been playing in your head? That I can enact my will on anything I want so long as I come from a good place. Um, it's, it's just recently, like, I'm not supposed to have this building because I accidentally bought another building down the road, which now is the compound for the project and my personal gym. Uh, but I bought that other building because I was too cheap to buy anything in Chino Hills because I had never bought a giant building. You know, I have rental properties, homes, but I'm like, I never bought a commercial building. Uh, so I bought this building or that building uh, for like a million one. And my wife's like, hey, man, it's across the street from the Chino State Prison. Do you really want it? I'm like, so what? You know, it's fine. She's like, but do you really want your franchisees to come there? And that's their first impression. I'm like, fuck, good point, good point. So I'm like, all right, let's leave that empty. And so, you know, let's buy this building. And in terms of down payment, at the time, the Fit Body's growing so quickly, and we were just launching the supplement company, and I'd spent that money on that building, and I bought two other rental properties. I just didn't have any money for down payment when this building came up for sale. But I literally was like, I will have this building hell or high water. I talked the agent, the seller's agent, into doing a face-to-face -face meeting by lying to him and saying that I'm gonna buy with cash. So I want a face-to-face -face meeting with the owner, right? And when I get the face-to-face -face meeting, I'm like, listen, I need you to loan me money for the down payment to buy your building, but here's what I'm willing to do. Um, and the agent was livid, but I enacted my will. <laughs> I enacted my will, and I got that. I, even years before, the house that we live in, one-acre property out here in Chino Hills, beautiful property. Um, years before, I would, it's a cul-de-sac. I had no reason being on that road. I, would just, I discovered it, and I would just go up the cul-de-sac, down that driveway, look over the wall and look at the pool and the big guest house and the multi-car garage. And as soon as I'd hear the owners, I'd leave. And I would tell my wife, like, hey, I found a place like three miles away. Like, like these properties are massive. And so I go to take her one day. And this time, I'd stopped by there like six or seven times by this point. This one time I take her, there's a for sale sign in front of it. I enacted my will. The universe and I colluded together to make that happen. And we bought that home. And uh, so, so now... And I share this with you because same with getting this building. And now there's a piece of property down the road here on the 71 um, that is like three acres big. It's an old slaughterhouse, a giant barn with two homes on it. And it belongs to the state of California because it's so old that it's a historical site now. They've got a monument there. Yep. But I also noticed that it's gated up because California's broke because that's how Newsom runs shit. <laughs> Motherfucker. So... Um, <laughs> All that said, I'm literally enacting my will on the state of California right now, and they will not only take that off the historical list, but they will sell that property to me, and I will text you and let you know that this happened. And everyone's like, no, it ain't gonna happen. I'm like, you don't understand how I roll. Like, I will enact my will on shit because the new, the project compound will be that. It's out of the site, it's on a dead end road, it's slaughterhouse, like what better creepy place to run the project than there? Yeah, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's the soundtrack that runs through my head is, I will enact my will on anything so long as it's a positive thing for hum humanity. That's a good soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Hell yeah. That is awesome. So you mentioned you have seven companies and you've had some experience 
with partnerships, maybe good, maybe bad. Curious, <laughs> curious, like, what are you, how do you see partnerships working? What, 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 what keys lead to a successful partnership Man. in your, in your eyes, if there are any? <laughs> Here's the deal with a partnership. Here's the deal with a partnership. First of all, you have to see what kind of person you are. Like, I'm a bull in a china closet. Like, I know I don't do well with partnerships, so, but I know that about myself now. So when I had partners, I would bring on a partner, and it was usually when someone gets a partner, especially if they're a newer entrepreneur, meaning their first 10 years in business, that's a new entrepreneur, uh, because you don't gain those entrepreneurial battle scars until like three, four, five years in, until your business starts to grow. You know what I mean? You haven't seen adversity until like you're the CEO of a fitness franchise and COVID comes. That's when you start becoming an entrepreneur. Um, but you realize very quickly that the only reason I got this business partner is because I wanted to literally uh, kind of mitigate the risk so that if things don't work out well, it's going to be split up between the five of us yeah. Yeah. instead of me taking the entire million dollar loss, let's say, right? But now, are five of us really going to be equally yoked in the way we work, the way we operate? Are we all great oracles or... Uh, you know, do all of you or do I have a great relationship with my wife or do I bring that relationship problem into the workplace and, and all this stuff, right? And so really, the only time you need a partner is if they bring a unique specialized skill that you cannot get from anywhere else. And that skill or access could be, maybe have a list of a million people that are your ideal customers. It's like, bro, we will be partners because I've got the product, you've got the customers, we will be partners. Um, so people go, what about money? Like, go get a loan. Go sell a kidney, but do not like bring on a partner just because they've got money and they, they like your idea because odds are you don't even know who that person is that well. So unless they have a unique specialized skill or access to something, you don't want to bring a partner on board because everything else you can buy or rent or get um, through acquiring money and money's easy to acquire. Yep. And th that's one of the big things too that I actually had jotted down because there's, I mean, quite a few of us here are, are still early on in our entrepreneurial careers, right? And a lot of our listeners are early entrepreneurs or want to be. Yeah. And a lot of times the biggest thing that, I mean, at least from what I've heard is money as being one of the biggest reasons that they can't start their business. So for our listeners, what's, I mean, outside of money, I, I know you say get a loan, sell a kidney, stuff like that. What else can they do to go out and make that business happen? In addition to getting money? In addition to getting money, they can actually work, like like find someone else who's doing what you're doing and model them, model success. People are so arrogant. A young copywriter reached out to me recently. He's like, hey man, um, I wrote a copy for the project for you and, and I, I sent it to you. Look at it, if you like it, you can pay me. It was horrible copy. And I'm thinking, man, you got the project. You've got Garrett White's like Warrior Week. You've got like all these other like similar type things, right? And this fool didn't even bother reading my sales copy or any other similar sales copy to model it. Instead, it was just this, like, he was just like pretty much yelling at any guy who was gonna read that and saying, you're a loser and a fool if you don't do the project. And no guy wants to be put in that position. It's like, dude, your ego, you flexed your ego and so you didn't go and model success. In everything that's, that you wanna do, that anyone wants to do, someone's already doing it. Maybe you can do it better, but figure out who are their vendors? How do they do it? What are their margins, right? Like, what kind of employees do they get? Whether it's software, whether it's product, whether it's a service, unfortunately, people don't do that. And sometimes you have to just go and work for that person and learn. Um, this company that I just took equity in, uh, Fuel Hunt, great apparel company, great movement. 
the dude that started it, he worked for a apparel company. And he saw the inner workings where they sourced the stuff from and all those things. And it's no surprise that in two years, they scaled it to a seven-figure company. Whereas imagine like if everybody else is like, oh, I got a great idea for a logo and a, and a design. And so, of course, they buy a whole bunch of shirts. They overpay for their shirts. They don't know what sizes to get and how many of each. And so now they've got a garage full of shit like everyone else. And they're out, you know, depressed about it. But people need to model success. Success is out there. And if you don't want to go work for that guy, go hire him as a coach. Like, I will gladly take your money to teach you how to start a fitness franchise in half the time and with half the frustration that it would take you to do it on your own. Like, so why not just pay the money to get the coaching or get paid to work in that company for a year or two, learn the model and say, hey, thank you so much. I hope I added value to your business as an employee. Now I'm going to go and be a competitor because we live in a free capitalistic environment. Yeah. And I, I think you mentioned this as like a key indicator of how, how your business is doing is referrals. Mm-hmm. Like, are you getting referrals yeah. from the work that you're doing? So if you're doing the right thing and you're putting in the work, you're probably going to get some referrals. Exactly. At least, uh, on, uh, yeah. If you're not getting referrals, then odds are your business sucks. I mean, that's just reality. Everyone wants to look, everyone like, my baby's the cutest. And then you show someone your baby and they <laughs> wince. It's like, business is the same way. Cute. Yeah. You're like, man, my business is awesome. How many referrals do you get? Why well, don't get referrals? That means you're clients don't want to talk about you. Like, your baby's ugly. Right? That's, that's the fact. Right. Uh, in your book, uh, speaking of, I guess, people that you were coaching, you had consulted someone you talked about, Michael, uh, who wanted to write a self-development book. Um, and th- honestly, like, besides his story, the big thing I got from that, and you didn't really elaborate on it, was you said that the sad part is most people don't get past the first chapter of a self-development book. And it, it just stopped. And you, as a person that writes self-development books, as a, us as a self-development podcast, why is it? Like, why does everybody stop short in that yeah. short? I heard Tony Robbins actually state that fact, and I looked it up, and it turned to be true. Um, I, I think people buy books, whether it's self-development or business or whatever, new skill, with the best of intentions. Like, we all want to better ourselves at something. The reality is there's better distractions than a goddamn book, right? However, I found that there are things that are force multipliers that will get you to read that book. If the person who bought the book also follows your podcast and is a big fan of you, they're more likely to read your book. Mm -hmm. If they also watch your YouTube videos and now they not only hear you but see you guys, they're more likely to read your book in completion. If they come to an event that you've run, they're more likely to. So the more likability and trust and authority you can establish, they're more likely they are to finish your book. So not all books that are self-development, you know, people go to the first chapter and that's it. But you have to now, days, there's so much distraction through social media and uh, people are busy as hell and have to drive their kids to school and you know they're working a job, starting a company and doing a side hustle, riding, driving Lyft. They don't have or they don't make the time. But if they know me, like me, and trust me at a very high level, they will find the time to read my book. And so now as authors, we have the duty and obligation, like all joking aside, to not only sell, write, write the book and sell it, but dangle the carrot for them to read it all the way through. Yep. Yeah, and speaking of books, in, uh, in your book, you said you'd rather start 10 more $100 million companies and write another book, which God is probably the reason you're going to write a book. So my question is, what's your next book going to be about? And can we like, have the exclusive breaking like, of the title <laughs> and with the release date and all that? Yeah, so there is another book brewing in me, uh, but I'm a disciplined uh, entrepreneur and author. And so I've committed to, until I sell 80,000 copies of Man Up, I will not start writing that other book. Okay. Uh, I'm okay. at 66,000 copies right now of Man Up. 
Um, and I am not going to talk about what the book or the title is because <laughs> I would ruin the surprise for the world. Well, good. Our uh, 800 followers can pick it up and get you closer to that. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Something that I find interesting is you, you talk a lot about uh, practicing what you preach, yeah. putting in the work that, you know, everybody puts their pants on the same way. You're, you're not going to ask somebody to do something that you wouldn't do. But at some point, as an entrepreneur, you got to start working on growing your business and not working in your business. And you talk about delegating. Yeah. At what point do you decide, this is what I need to delegate and this is where it's going to go? That's a really good question. So in, in my book, Man Up, I talk about the, uh, the 95-5 rule, right? And the 95-5 rule is this. There's Literally, when you think about it, as the founder, visionary, CEO, leader, how, whatever you want to see yourself as, there's about 5% of the things you need to do. Now, there's a shit ton of stuff that needs to happen. Someone needs to change the toilet paper, and someone needs to mop and vacuum and do payroll and pay the quarterly taxes, make sure the shelves are stocked or the software is working, whatever the thing is. But those are all people that you can pay $20 to $50 an hour to do. So that's 95% of the stuff should be delegated. The 5% needs to be you're the person that's going to do the money-moving stuff. So I'm selling right now. On this podcast, I'm selling the vision of Fit Body Bootcamp, of Man Up, of who I am. So some of your audience goes, hey, I actually kind of like that guy, and I'm going to follow him, maybe do business with him one day, right? And of course, I want to add value to your audience so they have this like, no like and trust factor with me. No one else can sit in this chair. So this is in my 5%. No one else can sit in this chair and do this podcast. I'm selling. So delegate, motivate, sell. Uh, that is what your 5% is. Like you have to figure out what the 95% is to delegate. And then you have to motivate your business partners, your, your employees, your audience, your tribe, whoever. And then you have to sell. Sell means my email broadcast that I send out, the videos that I post and put out, um, the social media content that I, that I create, the stage that I take. I'm always selling. Even if it's just selling you on, a, on an idea to not hit that goddamn snooze button so that you don't stack losses, you start stacking wins first thing of the day. And so... No one else can do that but me. But there's 5%. Um, sadly, everyone's like, oh, I could do that as too. Like, he didn't do that well enough, so I'll do it. Well, how about you train him? Mm -hmm. A good leader will train him and say, here's how I want it done. Got it? Yes. Okay, now do it this way instead. Be a master delegator. Um, but we also get a little control freakish. And this is my baby, and I started the company from my kitchen table, and how dare you? Like, easy, fella. Yeah. You know? Dude, that, uh, that 5 a.m., no snooze. So I just started... Andy Frisella's 75 hard phase one, and I've been eight days, but I was reading your book through it, and I was like, all right, well, I'm gonna wake up at 5 a.m. as I'm reading this book, and I've always tried and never been successful, but over the last eight days, I've done it every single day. 5 a.m., no snooze button, coffee, protein, supplements, whole deal, and then my GSD, my mm. get shit done mm -hmm. list. Mm -hmm. uh, and Good man. my days are so much more productive. And like by product, like my, I'm getting to sleep earlier. But talk to us, because I think through 2007 to 2012, you were super, or you were not a disciplined man. And then that all changed. Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was a crop duster. If, if, if you were to look at two types of airplanes, I believe humans are developed... Uh, we are born as fighter jets. We are made into crop dusters by our families who try and protect us, coddle us, tell us not to do this, don't take risks, watch out, be careful, don't offend someone. So then you just pull back on your risk-taking and your, your, your sense of adventure and your boldness, and you become a crop duster. And then hopefully something happens where you feel that burning in your gut and there's like this gnawing in your soul that says you're supposed to be a fighter jet, and then you do the things that you need to. So I was a poorly disciplined entrepreneur, and I couldn't figure out why employees kept firing me. 
Uh, by the way, just because you're the CEO, you guys are all probably CEOs of your own companies, right? Uh, just because you're the CEO doesn't mean you do the firing. Some of your best employees will fire you by quitting and going elsewhere, working for the competition. And you do not want that, or becoming the competition and having a chip on their shoulder to fuck your shit up. And so, to me, it's a no-brainer that I have to lead from the front. And so how, what, what a hypocrite, what an imposter to go, I want you guys to do this for me, yet I sleep in, I show up unprepared to meetings, I'm late to things, and then I expect my team to operate at a high level. Like, forget it, man, that won't, that's, that's ridiculous, right? And so I learned very quickly that if I want a strong team, not just employees, but a team, I have to be a great communicator, be clear on my vision, lead from the front, like outwork them on every level and every capacity, and then also take care of them. Like I've had workouts or coffees or lunches with almost every single one of my team members and talked about their personal family stuff. And that's like leadership at the highest level because I'm like, man, you took time out of your weekend to talk to me for two hours in front of Starbucks. Like, you know what? I know they're being recruited on LinkedIn. I know they are. You guys are hitting up his employees? Right? Yeah. yeah. I know you were, bro. No. Right. That's why we're here. We checked about it. Yeah, yeah, that's why yeah. you invited yeah. us. You're like, hey, can we talk to these guys? Doors were locked. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? So if you don't take care of your people, like they're just going to you know, bounce and go elsewhere. So to me, it really is about being a disciplined entrepreneur. And discipline means making that GSD list the night before, doing that brain dump. Success is so formulaic, man. It really is easy. Whatever it is that you want to work on the first thing in the morning is going to move the money needle, the things that are in your 5%. Dump it out on a piece of paper the night before or on your note section of your phone. You did a brain dump, so now you're going to sleep peacefully. You put it in the order that you want to work on. When the alarm goes off, you don't hit the snooze button, so you stack your, your first W because that's a win. You didn't hit snooze. You just turned off your alarm, jumped up, drank your 30 ounces of water, had your protein shake, coffee, vitamins, maybe did a little gratitude, whatever, meditation. And then you open up your GSD list and you attack that fucking list. You put the hardest thing that, that you don't want to do at the top so that you don't avoid everything else. And then you just attack that list, go work out, and then I get here, and everyone should just live, like, this is it. Like, yeah, but I'm different. No, you're not. You have two arms, two legs, uh, you're, you're, you're the same. Like, everyone thinks they're a unique snowflake. I'm a night person. Fuck you. <laughs> you're not. You know what? Get so tired, you will sleep at 8 p.m., right? Go empty the tank, and you will go to bed at 8 p.m., and you'll wake up between 4 and 5 a.m. Like, that's, it, it's simple. It's just, the problem is, we are weak, and we choose to stay soft, and we overconsume on food, alcohol, social media, um, gossip, Netflix shows. Like, oh, I binge watch. The term binge watch shouldn't even exist. Filthy animals, fucking binge watching. Well, go binge work, bitch. <laughs> Anyways, does that help you? So, speaking of bitches, um, bitches, you talked about uh, inner bitch voice on. Yeah. I think it was a, uh, a quick blog post, and one thing, one question I had about that was. You know, do you develop the habit where the inner bitch voice completely goes away? Or are you always battling an inner bitch voice? Uh, I, I, I used to say, sadly, your inner bitch doesn't go away. But now it's actually by design. It's good that your inner bitch doesn't go away. Like, could you imagine that, you know, you work out, you build muscles, and you're like, all right, I look like Phil Heath or Michael Hearn. I'm going to stop now. I'm going to maintain all this muscle. Like, you just want to appreciate it. It's, thank God your body atrophies so that you have the desire to go keep working out, stay lean, keep eating right, stay disciplined on, on, on your stuff that gets you there. And so we need that inner critic. So we all have two, if your body is a vehicle and you've got the driver's seat, 
most people have that critic, their inner bitch voice sitting next to them, riding shotgun, telling them how fucked up they are, how they're not going to get that job, how this business isn't going to work, the economy's going to crash, Biden's going to fuck it up, orange man bad, blah, 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 whatever the thing is, right? And then they got the advocate in the trunk who's like, yay, I believe in you, you're fucking awesome, da, da, da. But it sounds like this. Like, hey, did you hear something? Nope, nope, you're a bitch. Because that's all, that's, all, that's all the critic is saying. Motherfucker's riding shotgun. What if you actually like, decided to go fucking berserk, went to Home Depot, and you bought some zip ties and duct tape, and you zip tied his fucking arms and legs, and you taped up his mouth, and you put him, the critic, the inner bitch, in the trunk, and you brought the advocate and sat him down, buckled him in tight, and let him just pour into you. Like, hey, man, you're a fucking stud. You know why you're a stud? Because you didn't hit the snooze button. And you drank all 30 ounces of water today. And I noticed how you sent out three gratitude text messages to three people that you haven't reached out to for a very long time. Man, you're a good soul. Could you imagine if that was your fucking inner conversation? Holy fuck, you would run through walls. But instead, we get beat up by all this negative loop that the critic wants to stuff into our head. And then we reinforce it by believing it when not realizing that we could actually get him to switch seats. But you could never kick either one out of the car. You need both. Yeah. You need yeah. both. You need the bear, you need the dragon. The dragon is your internal insecurities. The bear is the external adversities that you will face in life. So a lot of people don't like to address that inner side. And I think you had talked about like how your life changed when you addressed inner work. Yes. It's very sexy to talk about growing, making money, scaling, even like helping people. Like It's a cool topic. But when you start to talk about like, how you're really fucked up inside and you need to pull that out in order to fix it, uh, you know, and therapy and shit like that, people don't like it. So talk to us about your experience there. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, for me, I wish I could say that, you know, hey, I was fucked up and I realized I was fucked up, so I went to the therapist. It wasn't in that order. Um, I was molested by two older boys when I was a kid. Uh, between the ages of four and six, I was molested by two older boys in Armenia. I told nobody about it. I grew up and I just suppressed that all the way up into my 30s. Um, it led to a lot of violence in my early, late teens, early 20s, uh, carjackings, police helicopter chases, home invasion robberies. Well, the home invasion robberies is what led to the police helicopter chase. The old lady was home, we didn't know that. Um, so then she calls the cops, the police helicopter. 79 Toyota pickup doesn't go that fast, you're fucked. Um, you gotta do more due diligence. Yeah, 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 yeah. We gotta scope the joint out better. Um, <laughs> To my defense, that was TJ's job. I was the driver. Um, <laughs> fucking TJ. Fucking TJ. Anyway, uh, but that's karmic justice as well. Thank God all those things happened in terms of the cops you know, pulling us over, well, violently and pulling us out of the car because it was a turning point. It was a significant life event in my life that I was like, all right, man, you've, you've got a crossroads here. Um, all three of my friends went to jail. The only reason I didn't is because I stayed in the car because I'm the getaway driver. And the old lady that they brought didn't, couldn't identify me. So she's like, I saw him in my house, him in my house, him in my house. Dude's handsome, but I have no idea who he is. <laughs> you know, that was me, right? And so like, skin my teeth, right? And so I was like, all right, this is a turning point for me. Um, where are we going with this question? So you talked about the, the inner work. The inner work, yeah. So like, and as you grow up, you're like, why, why, why am I doing all this bad? Like, you know, anyone that does anything bad, unless they're drugged up like to a high level where they're just out of their mind, you know, your radiance tells you, your gut tells you, this is bad. And then bad things happen, you're like, fuck, I think this was karmic justice for stealing that money. I mean, you know it, but why do you do it? And so for me, I 
did it because I wanted to feel like a big tough guy and, and, and bring violence to people because I was violated as a, as a young man, as a boy. Um, and it was unfortunate, but I did nothing with it. And I figured if I just continued to get bigger and stronger and uh, grow businesses, all these things that seem so noble. Um, if you read the book, The Body Keeps the Score, great book by Dr. Van Beasel. He talks about how boys who are molested or raped, if they don't process through the pain and the trauma, will grow up, most of them end up using steroids, getting big and muscular, getting tattoos, starting businesses to create all this money and power. Basically, you're just creating power and strength because you're trying to protect the inner boy. How many of those did you fit? Fucking all of them. I checked every box, right? As I'm reading, I'm like, oh, yeah. shit. But on the outside, it's a noble thing. Like, hey, man, look, I'm fit. I'm in great shape. I started all these businesses. We give to charities. Yes. But deep down inside, just trying to protect that little boy, right? And so, thank God, at the age of 38, I had this massive panic attack, which I talk about in the book that I thought it was a heart attack. Um, so I, I was like, man, I dodged a heart attack. Well, it was a panic attack. And so the doctor's like, dude, uh, you're going to have to do something about your stress because it will lead to a heart attack otherwise. Um, and that led to talk therapy just to work with reducing my stress, my stress and anxiety, right? Four sessions into my talk therapy, I built such a great relationship with Kevin Downing, uh, the therapist, that uh, I think he figured out there was something more. And he's like, hey, um, is there anything else you want to talk about? like family stuff, like what happened to you as a kid, kid, you know, childhood in Armenia. I was like, nope. He's like, are you sure? And I just started like weeping, man. Like, I'm like, what the hell, right? And it's like, and I'm tr internally, I'm like, stop it, dude. What the fuck, man? But he had built such trust and rapport with me in those four sessions um, that he's like, something happened. I was like, I shook my head, yes. I couldn't even articulate words. And I couldn't look at him. I was just looking outside of his window at my my Denali was parked down there. I'm just like fixated on my car. And um, he's like, were you, were you raped? I was like, no, shook my head, no. Were you molested? Yes. By a babysitter? No. You know, male? Yes. And then I finally mustered up the words by you know, two older boys. And uh, 16 months of real therapy started, right? So I went there. I wish I could say I went there because I knew there was some inner work that I needed to do to overcome my limiting beliefs and my, the glass ceiling that I was hitting and the self-sabotage and this anger and this rage that I had. Um, I went there because I was stressed and overwhelmed and I wanted him to help me get over, like cope with my stress and anxiety so I can keep growing the companies and learn to insulate and isolate pain. Yep. Instead, spent 16 months working with this man and uh, healing, working through the trauma and that big mountain, that big embarrassing thing that happened in my life. It wasn't my fault, the shame that I felt. It wasn't my fault. These two older boys took advantage of a young child. Um, and young kids look up to older boys, their older brothers, their dads as a rite of passage into manhood. And they took advantage of a very sacred relationship. I can talk about it openly now. No one knew, not even my wife, till the age of 38. And uh, so you carry this burden, you carry this weight, and then you have this anger and rage that you project to the world because you don't trust anyone. And so the shame, rage, confusion, all just kind of this mountain kind of became a little speed bump in my timeline of life. And I can talk about it from stage and podcasts and that inner work, the healing, literally force multiplied. I swear to you, the next three years, Fit Body Bootcamp hits the Inc. 5000 uh, three years in a row, then Inc. 500, then Entrepreneur Magazine's top uh, 200 fit, uh, franchises out of 175,000 franchises, top 200 franchises, like awards left and right. 
uh, people are looking at me and going like, dude, you look different, you look younger, you look lighter. Like this darkness went away, right? Like nothing else had changed. Business takes off, relationship gets better, darkness, this dark energy goes away. And um, it was because of the healing. That inner work is the greatest work you could ever do. Not the work of charity, not the work of building businesses, monuments to yourself and all those things. Those are all, those could be multiplied by a factor of 100X if you can become whole. Uh, most men, especially, choose to distract ourselves with projects, work, businesses, things to avoid and ignore the work that we need to do, the inner work. Yeah. So you would suggest for anybody who gives, because most people, you know, some people might be listening to this and be like, I mean, the shit he's been through, like, you know, I, I can't even hold a candle to that. So it's like, do I actually need to, to go to therapy? Do I actually need to do the inner work? Well, the thing that I was hearing is like, hey, Beto, so I'm sorry that happened to you, um, but I've dealt with my stuff. I'm like, you think you did. You, you think you did. But you walk around with literally like these sores all over your body that haven't healed on your heart, like you can only love so deep, you can only have a friendship so strong, you tend to create this pattern of rejection throughout your life, and like, oh shit, yep. self-sabotage, like, oh my God, addictions, oh, it's not addiction, yeah, addiction is a byproduct of trauma. No one's born with the alcohol gene. Addiction is a byproduct of trauma, addiction to porn, addiction to gambling, addiction to alcohol, addiction to infidelity, whatever, is, a, is, is literally a, a byproduct of trauma. And so I thought I had dealt with it. In fact, I told Kevin, as I was sobbing, I'm like, but, but I'm fine, I've dealt with what happened to that little boy. And he goes, excuse me? I go, I'm, Kevin, I'm fine, I've dealt with what happened with that little boy. He goes, can I tell you something scary? I'm like, sure. He goes, can you say I've dealt with what happened to me as a little boy? And I started crying again. He goes, that's called disassociation. And the first step into creating multiple personalities is disassociating yourself from the trauma that took place. So when most men go, no, man, I've dealt with it. I'm good. I'm fine. Yep. Look at me. Great shape. Lots of followers. I got a blue check mark. Did you know I got a blue check mark? And all these different companies. I'm a fucking badass. I'm fine. No, bro. You're fucked. You're fucked. It's time to unfuck yourself. Uh, it's the hardest work you'll do, but it is the most fulfilling work you do because it 100Xs everything, including your blue check mark. Yep. Best work you can do is on Brainless yourself. thing ever, by the way. Blue check mark. Yeah, you right? stupid shit for Something that I think was also a turning point in your career as an entrepreneur was you, you said that you kind of lost your vision or your purpose and you sent out a company-wide email on a Monday morning yeah. and only one employee responded back to you. And for me, like I'm in a growing business and I'm looking for employees and something you said was that she had the traits of an entrepreneur, which is a, a phrase that's not heard very often. So what would you tell for people that are trying to grow, looking for those employees? What, what are those traits? Oh man, well, I'm gonna tell you right now because her husband is in this room. Uh, that's Ed. Ed, uh, my, my head videographer, media guy here, is married to Joan, my awesome and amazing assistant of going on nine years now. And she came into my life, you know, she applied for a position and I was like, oh my God, she's a unicorn. She's gonna, literally, you wanna talk about that inner voice? Then her voice was like, as soon as she finds out I'm a phony and that everyone just quits here, or I fire them out of rage and anger, she's gonna quit, right? So I was like, okay, dude, here's your chance. Like, get your shit together. Okay, write a Monday morning email. Like, hey guys, from now on, I promise to be this way and I expect this of you guys. And this time I mean it because I'm gonna lead from the front, right? And I was thinking like all nine employees would be like, yeah. She was, Joan was the only one that hit reply and was like, yay, let's do it. How can I help? And I was like, fuck, I have no idea. 
<laughs> how do you actually develop like leadership muscles? I have no clue, right? But I'm like, okay, she's on board. The rest aren't, understandably so, because I was a bad, horrible leader. Um, look, here's the reality, man. Anyone can become, and credit to the Marine Corps, they say they can turn anyone to a rifleman or a riflewoman, I suppose. Uh, they don't like reject, unless you've got like flat feet, I suppose. But even these days, from what I understand, Rob O'Neill told me they take dudes because they have like orthotics and all that shit for shoes. But um, they can turn anyone into a competent Marine, right? And I always have to remind HR upstairs, like, oh, we have to part ways with so-and-so. Hey, I got an idea, tell me why. Well, you know, this is happening, da-da-da. Great, but were they good at one point? Yes, but now they're not. No, because our business is faster, more sophisticated, they can't keep up, gotcha. If we killed everybody on this planet, there was no other employees to hire. Could you make this person work? Like, well, yeah. Yeah, if there was no one else. Like, pretend that's what happened. Like, a zombie apocalypse happened, and that's the only person we have left. And make it work. There's like five people upstairs right now who should have been fired years ago. Today are sitting in leadership positions. You know? And that happened. In fact, you know, I said at 5 o'clock, I had a hard stop. And the reason for that was... I have this thing that I run twice a year called FLIT, Future Leaders in Training. So team members who I believe have potential um, sit with me on their own time, read specific books that I assign them, and I mentor them one hour a week for six weeks. And their future can be future leaders. Like some of those future leaders are people that were on the chopping block. But when we went with the mindset of they're the only ones out there, because who's to say that the next person that I fire and new person I bring on board is going to be a Joan? Right? I got lucky with Joan. A unicorn walked into the building. I was like, how do I keep her? Right? Everyone else, you have to develop. I had to develop myself. You guys have to develop. So we're so quick to fire and so slow to mentor and coach and develop. And I think if you want to turn employees into high-performing team members, develop them, pour into them. If they still don't work out, give them the gift of goodbye. You've, uh, you've dabbled in, what was it, uh, was it jujitsu for a while? Yeah, bit? yeah, I do these stupid six-week challenges. Uh, things that scare me or that are out of my comfort zone, I'll do for six weeks straight, three times a week, two hours at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, surfing, marathon run, you know, train for six weeks, run a marathon, jujitsu, then do a competition, all these things. It's rock climbing, because I was afraid of heights. Uh, MMA, and, and some I like, some I don't, but they all are great learning experiences. How many weeks did you have to train to uh, choke that guy out on that plane? So that was even before doing <laughs> that. True story. Uh, yeah, we were flying back from Maui, uh, yeah. me and the family, and you know, I go on a lot of business flights, man, and most of the time everything's fine. Uh, but I always sit on the aisle just to be on the safe side, right? So I can be the first to get up in case I need to. And I just got done training with Aaron Weatherspoon. He was, at the time, he was the king of the cage welterweight champion, and then we go to Hawaii, and, you know, like, I don't know if you guys, like, ever, like, have sparred, but I always wondered, like, is Aaron just kind of letting me get a few punches in? Is he just letting me choke him or get him into an arm bar? You know, like that fake, like, oh, you got me, right? Because after all, I'm paying the dude, right? So I was like, does this stuff really work? <laughs> like, I know he could <laughs> do it. Win. But will, will I be able to pull it off, right? <laughs> so we're flying back. We're over the Pacific. And this dude way up, so we're sitting in the back of first class, and he's way up in the first class. It was like a 747 where there has some multiple first class rows. And he's like gone berserk, doing the gun thing, threatening to blow the plane up, and the flight attendants are freaking out. They have the zip cuffs, and they're walking through my aisle. They're gonna cut through the galley to create a wedge, a gap between him and the cockpit. And they're like, you know, so I stop the lady, I'm like, what the fuck is going on? My wife's looking at me like, dude, what the hell, right? Andrew, at the time, he was like six years old. He's like, dad, everything okay? I'm like, son, everything's gonna be fine. 
and like like my butthole's like clenched, <laughs> right? Because I was like, I have no idea what's going on. And so I look at the dude behind my wife, and he just kind of looks at me and gives me the nod, like, all right, if shit goes down, he and I are doing this. And I'm thinking this is post 9-11, like you hear on the news, like everyone's gonna dogpile on him, they're gonna seatbelt him together, and then it's on the news, right? So she goes, well, we, he's, he's a flight risk, we have to ask him to put this on. And I look at him, and he's just like foaming at the mouth, going berserk, no one's sitting around him, they've all pressed themselves into the walls. And so I was like, that man? She goes, yeah. So anyway, so they cut through, they go, hey, we put this on, and I'm just watching, and he just go, goes, like, goes from a 10 to an 11. And she looks up, she's like, help! And so me and this dude get up and start running. And uh, I'm like, hey, buddy, you gotta put that on. And before I can even say it, he like goes to shove me, and I literally parried and got behind him, got him in a rear naked chokehold, and it started working. <laughs> like, he started to like soften up and collapse. The tall dude, he's bucking, but the more I tighten down, and I was like, okay, Aaron, so take a deep breath. And so I took a deep breath. Now, you know, to fill up my chest with Aaron. Oh, shit, he's even choking, losing air faster. And so I'm like whispering in his ear, like, buddy, I don't know what's going on with you, but you got to fucking be cool. Like, no one's going to die today. And every time I loosen up, because the other part of my is like, don't kill the dude, right? Because yeah. I don't want to kill anyone. And um, I loosen up. He gets a little air. He starts going bonkers again. So I was like, fuck this shit. So I was like, he's going to go to sleep. I'm asleep, So bitch. put him to sleep. <laughs> And uh, anyway, we zip cuff him, and me and the homeboy there took turns sitting security with him in the back of the plane. Uh, my first class seat went empty, uh, but we landed in LAX, and the cops took him away. Yeah. Um, but but man, it was scary, so scary. And I remember just the next day calling Aaron Weatherspoon and saying, that stuff you taught me works. I'm just blown away. Um, like, thank you so much. And uh, you just never know when you're going to use a skill like that. Yeah. You know? Well, it's good to know that you can do it after all that training. And, yeah. um, and you know, well, I'll be honest. One of the reasons I want to bring that up is we, um, we, we're sitting about 800 Instagram followers right now. No big deal. Right? But we're almost to that thousand mark. Uh, so what we were going to ask, we're basically chasing cloud here. Sure. Would you choke out Brad on camera <laughs> so we can post? I will not. <laughs> Had to ask. It's always oh, a no. Way too much to lose. Ed, Ed is great at jujitsu. Ed belt. can do it. Blue okay, belt, right? Ed, get in here and yeah. choke the yeah. fuck out of Brad. Yeah. Let's go. As long as you're standing like in the background. Yeah, yeah. I've got too much to lose to touch anyone unless you're going to attack me. And I, I would still try and talk you out of attacking me. Please. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. I don't want to fight anyway. Yeah, right. That's I love that though. We just choke them out for fun, please. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the you guys are great, man. You guys are awesome. Appreciate we that. We have that vibe. Best podcast yeah. ever. Remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Clip it. Clip it. It was said. Um, but one of the things I wanted to circle back to as we wanted to talk about was mentorship. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's a it's a super hot button right now, and you have um, it was Franco was a mentor. Jim Franco. Jim yeah. Franco. And then I think, who was the other one that I think? Oh man, I've, uh, Joel Weldon was my uh, speaking coach, yep. Dan Kennedy, copywriting coach, Joe Polish, marketing. Like I've had mentors. I've paid so much money to mentors and it's literally the best investment I've made in terms of business. And then when you look at, you know, mentoring this, the headspace, um, you know, 16 months working with Kevin. Kevin Downing, my therapist. Like if that's not mentoring, like who, where's the owner's manual for your brain, for how your heart works, right? There isn't one. And then you sit across a psychologist and he's like, there's nothing wrong with you. Like, really? I'm like, I feel like there's this monster in me. And da, da, da. he's like, no, man, you've been sexually abused and so you're just really jumpy. I'm like, oh, shit. He's like, but believe it or not, there's hundreds of dudes have sat on that couch and uh, they're all fine. I'm like, no kidding. 
right? Like, I didn't know that. I thought I was broken and fucked up, and so I'm just going to get big and strong and build companies and then die. Yep. But as it turns out, I, I can do so much more, and after healing, I've done so much more. But mentorship on every level, business, mindset, marriage, psychology, man, it's necessary. Yep, and so I want to just real quick ask a question because we're going to have two more after this, and we're running short on time. But with that mentorship, um, a lot, like Dan has a mentor, it came up organically, like yours came up organically yeah. as well. Uh, how would you suggest somebody go find a mentor? Is it just like find them on LinkedIn, ask them if they'll mentor you? Do you offer them money if they don't have like a practice like that? How does that work? Yeah, so so there's, there's two types of mentors, right? The dudes that are like for hire, like I, I have a mentorship program, and if someone wants to learn how to start a franchise or level up in their leadership, like whatever my zone of geniuses are that I've been good at, and made lots of money at or been successful at, like I can mentor you in that, um, right? But then the problem with that is you see a lot of people who you can buy social media following, you can buy the blue check mark, you can toggle that little thing that says public figure or entrepreneur or mentor as your title, and then you could sell air. And you know these are people that maybe they want, ran one good marketing funnel, but they know nothing about a business. Like they would not know how, what to do when the next coronavirus lockdown happens. Um, and so people get swindled. So I think the best place to start is if you're gonna buy a mentor, meaning you're gonna pay someone to mentor you, just do a little research. Like, can I talk to three or four of your clients that are maybe in the space that I'm in, just so I can see what kind of results they've gotten? Like, on my site, there's like 22 videos from male, female clients, um, pro athletes, Navy SEALs, doctors, to say like, Bedros has helped me 10X, 50X, 100X my money. Um, but if a dude in CBD signed up for coaching with me, and I was like, bro, I don't know how to do CBD local businesses, so here's your 100,000 back, have a good life. Like, a good mentor has the obligation to say that. Yep. Um, I was fortunate enough early on where Jim Franco was someone who cared for me, looked at me probably as a, as a son type of thing when I was in my 20s and he's in his 60s and he mentored me. So the other way is if you know what industry you want to ultimately end up in, go work for someone that you respect and who's in the industry that you want to be in, mm -hmm. right? Um, six team members have worked here and gone on to do their own thing. And all six have, five of the six came in with, um, hey, I want to work with you to get paid, to get mentored by you, but I will make you money while I'm working for you. Like, cool, man. Um, the recent one was Richard Mujica. Now he owns uh, One Call Closers. They're doing 10 million a year. Uh, he left here two years ago. He was selling franchises for me. I was like, hey, sign a four-year contract with me because I'm going to teach you skills that I don't want you, you just learn and leave. I want to at least get four years out of you. No different than the military, I suppose, mm -hmm. right? And then I'm going to teach you everything, and then fair wins. Interestingly enough, he brought me on board. as a, He's a coaching client now, right? So he's like, hey, now I want to use your mentorship. And so you can go work for someone that you respect and who's in an industry that you like. You can actually get paid to get mentored. Or you can find someone on LinkedIn and just go, hey, look, you know, I like what you're doing. I see you're successful. I want to go down that path. Is there anything I could add, add value to your life in exchange to mentorship? And then the third way was obviously paying for it, but make sure you're getting someone who walks the walk and talks the talk for yep. Christ's sake. Yeah. Uh, cool. Appreciate that. That'll, um, that's really good insight into, into mentorship. So then two other things. Brad's going to have a, a question for you, uh, which is our OnlyFans inquiry. But we do a, a little bit of a piece here. Uh, it's called guys being guys, right? Bros being bros kind of deal. Like we pride ourselves on being a little bit different than most podcasts in terms of our prep work, in terms of like how we build relationships with our guests. So we typically ask our guests to do something outside with us to just build upon that relationship. So 
um, and you had talked about that you've actually done this before. So our, our question is, uh, would you uh, do a cycle of steroids with us to where we could all get super jacked? Now, before you answer, Dan said he would. He's you could gonna, use this before and after yeah. for Fit Body Bootcamp. Perfect, camp. perfect. Yes. You know I'm, a really, I'm a really good before. Bro, I'm experimental. I'm in. Like, if, if, if that's a legit question, I'm in. Yeah. Fuck yes. All right. Yeah. Let's yeah. Go. I still know how to get in and out of Tijuana, like with the right the Cestanon. The Cestanon like gets you jacked, bro. What that's is good. it? Cestanon, man. So you go to Tijuana. <laughs> And you go into the veterinary, you, you go into the vet, like, you right? you spell that? <laughs> because you go into a regular pharmacy, they're still going to want a, a, a script. But you go into a veterinary place, and you're like, hey, I got a racehorse, and I need my racehorse to be mucho big and strong. And they go, Cestanon. You go, yes, Cestanon 250. And you buy 12 of those. And there's your nice eight-week cycle. And Cestanon is a combination of four different testosterones, fast-acting, long-acting, short-acting, whatever-acting. Uh, but fuck, fuck you jacked. up! Yeah, let's yeah. go. Get lean, jacked, and angry. Yeah. Shredded. Are we, are we really doing this? Yeah, yeah let's go. Oh, yes. And yeah. so what I would do is I would actually cross, like I would, you know, the spare tire in your car? Yeah. Uh, right along the rim there, you slice it. And then so I would go, and I'd buy a shit ton, I'd pour it into the spare tire. If I make it back, we're fucking doing this. <laughs> and then you come back, you use what you're going to use, and you sell the rest. Okay. So it's now, obviously, we're not selling shit because we're, that's not who we are anymore. Right. We're just going to buy shit for personal use. Okay. What you're going to do, is this your first cycle? You got yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Dude, you got to use Mexican Cestanon because the cool thing is you get, you get veterinary fever, you get these abscesses <laughs> no. on your... No, yeah, yeah. Like it's you, intense it's, it's bad. You get it's, the whole experience. Yeah, the, 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 you can't. You sweat. It's awful. How <laughs> awesome is our SEO going to be with Mexican Cestanon? Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're going to blow up. Yeah. a lot of Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. And we go to Papa's and Beer while we're there. Yeah. yeah. Fucking A. I know my way around. Good let's, place. Let's do it. So uh, every episode we have with our guests, we have what we call the OnlyFans inquiry. Yeah. Because we don't have a lot of fans, we call them OnlyFans. So the question that we I have is... I thought you had an OnlyFans. No. <laughs> no. We, have a great, we have a great story a we can tell you about after the episode, though. <laughs> gotcha. But, um, so what is the one question that people never ask you that they think is the key you should be con- constantly asking yourself to build an empire? What next? What next? What next? Like, always ask yourself, what, like, what is your next move? Like, people rest on their laurels. Man, all right, I'm, I'm making half a million dollars a year. I'm set. Cool. And then, again, administration changed. Lumber got more expensive than steel. Gasoline prices are through the roof. Inflation's blowing up. Chicken breast has doubled in price. Your $500,000 a year is like $50,000 a year now. Like, what next to make more money, to have more impact, to become the next version of yourself? No one's asking what next because they think it's like the, the journey has a finish line. There is no finish line. What next? Keep climbing the mountain. Going back to the thing you said before the camera started rolling, because you're either growing or you're dying, right? So what next leads you, gets the subconscious mind to start processing, what else am I good at? How else can I scale this? Who else can I bring on board to help me? People don't ask what next enough. Love it. Right at the 55-minute mark, Bedros Koulian, thank you so much, sir. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thanks so much.